Amen. It is great to see you this morning. Thank you so much for moving that. It is great to see you this morning. Thank you for being here on Easter Sunday 2019. Again, we welcome those who are in the chapel. We had uh, standing room only in the chapel at 9.30. We got a nice full house over there at 11. And uh, we ought to build a church someday. So uh, the Lord willing, uh, we're going to do that. But thank you all for being here. Turning your Bibles to John's Gospel, chapter 20. I want to begin with a simple question. And then I want to probe this idea of the resurrection with three questions this morning. The question I want to begin with is sort of a, a fess up moment for all of us. Have you ever been given the responsibility for something, something really important, Somebody gave you something to manage, to do, to control, and you absolutely blew it. Yeah. Uh, When I was a kid, we were remodeling a house that we were going to live in, and there was a contractor there working, and I went over as a little kid one day, and I asked them, I said, I want to help. And so he gave me a, a hammer and some nails so we're going to nail this floor down. And they were working, these smart contractors. I was a 10-year-old kid, maybe. And uh, I didn't know that you were supposed to put the nails in the boards where the studs were. <laughs> Some of you don't know what that is. But anyway, I just put nails, man. It was fun. I was just putting them in random patterns. And uh, I remember he came over and said, hey, let me help you with that. And uh, that was the beginning of him confiscating my uh, hammer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Really, that's the story of Easter. I'll explain that more in a moment. The three simple questions that I want to, I want to ask as we probe this matter of the resurrection this morning are, first of all, what are we doing here? What are we doing here on Easter Sunday morning? They tell us that this is the largest attended church Sunday uh, in all of the year, in the calendar year. It's a significant revenue driver for companies that sell candy. And it is a source of great division for those who want to argue about whether you eat the ears of the bunny first or the face. WalletHub.com says that in 2019, we'll spend $18.1 billion in Easter-related expenses. Holy moly is right. (laughs) $18.1 billion breaks down to $3.3 billion in clothing. I contributed $15.99. billion in food, $2.5 billion in candy, $2.9 billion in gifts. The most, I'm sure you're going to be thrilled to know this this morning, the most popular Easter basket items are 92% Easter chocolate and candy, 61% non-edible items like toys and notebooks and so forth. I'm glad I never got a notebook in my Easter basket. And 44% of parents put granola bars or dried fruit in the kids' Easter basket. Come on, parents. You need help. We will eat 16 billion jelly beans in 2019 during the Easter season, enough to circle the globe three times. 90% of parents intend to discuss eating candy in moderation with their kids, while 81% of parents intend stealing candy out of their kids' Easter baskets. (laughs) 
That, by definition, is collusion. (laughs) Honey, do not eat all of this stuff because it could harm you. Go to bed. Yeah. That, that struck a chord right there. There's a lot of guilty adults in the room this morning. A man and his five-year-old were driving past a cemetery and noticed a large pile of dirt next to a freshly dug grave when the little boy looked at his dad and said, Dad, look, someone got out. <laughs> if you're wondering what we're doing this Easter morning... We're here to talk about the one that got out. One did get out. Easter is the day that Christians celebrate the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. You know that. That's what we're doing here. Christians celebrate Easter as the resurrection of Christ on the third day after his crucifixion. It's the oldest Christian holiday. And it's the most important day of the church year. Because of the significance of for all of our lives and the history of the world. Although the origins of Easter, the the Easter holiday itself are obscure, somewhere along the line through history, and no, I'm not a conspiracy theorist on that, and yes, we did have an Easter egg hunt yesterday, and yes, we'll have another one for my nieces and nephews or whoever's little around my house this afternoon or wherever I'm at. I'm not a conspiracy, but somewhere Easter and the resurrection merged, and Long before there was an Easter holiday, Christians were celebrating the resurrection of the Lord. As a matter of fact, it was such a profound thing that happened that these Jewish believers, the first believers were ardent Jews. And these Jewish believers changed the day on which they worshipped because of the resurrection. And they began to celebrate it every week on the first day of the week. It's how they went from worshiping on Saturday to worshiping on Sunday because it was a Sunday celebration remembering that Jesus came out of the grave on Sunday morning. So actually, Easter is every week here on Sunday morning at 8, 9, 30, and 11. That's why we're here. But I want to read the Bible's account this morning in John 20. If you want to read all of them, they're in Mark 16, Matthew 28, Luke 24, and in John's Gospel, chapter 20. Actually, each, each writer of the Gospels gives a unique perspective. And if you want to sometime do a fun study, put them all together, and you kind of get the whole picture of all the people that were there and where they were going and, and all of that. Let's read in John's Gospel, chapter 20, verse 1. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark, And saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, which would be John, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. I want to give you a geographic perspective. So the tomb is here, if you're looking at a map, two and a half miles, or about two, two and a half miles south and east is Bethany. That's where the ladies were all hanging out. That's where they came from. There were other ladies in this group with Mary Magdalene. South and west, about a mile or two, was a home where Peter and John were most likely staying. So you picture a sort of an A, and you have the tomb up here, and you have the ladies coming from Bethany over here. The ladies get up to the tomb. They realize that it's empty. 
some of the ladies stayed. You read that narrative in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Mary Magdalene leaves there and runs about a mile and a half to where Peter and John are. So Peter, when when she says this in verse 3, Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, it means literally he was peeking in the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Peter, with a whole different personality, comes running behind him and went into the tomb and saw the linen cloth lying there and the face cloth that would have been wrapped around Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. Don't get your hopes up. We're not to the good part of the story yet. He didn't believe that Jesus had been resurrected. He believed what Mary told him a few minutes ago. He got to the tomb. He finally peeked in. He finally came in and he believed what Mary said. Somebody took him out of here. And we know that by the next verse, verse 9, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Can you imagine that walk? They come running up, they discover what Mary Magdalene said is true, that he's gone, somebody took him. They don't believe that he's resurrected, they're not singing up from the grave, they're not singing that. They're going, they're walking back. We know, in a little later we'll see, but we know what that day was like for them. Peter and John, I would give anything to have the narrative of that conversation on that 20 minute walk or so back to their home. We know what they did. They got home, they locked the windows, and they locked the doors. They were scared. They had watched Jesus be crucified. Now he's been buried. It was, a, it was, it was the highest crime to break a Roman seal, move that tomb. They knew they were going to be the ones to blame. But Mary Magdalene, verse 11, she stayed behind. You remember Mary Magdalene, right, from Luke chapter 8? You remember the lady that had seven demons that filled her body? She came from Magdala, a city that was known for prostitution. She had met Jesus in Luke chapter 8, and Jesus had set her free from all of her demons and delivered her and given her hope, changed her life. She was delivered. She was clean. She was pure. She was normal. And she loved Jesus. And Peter and John went back, and she stayed at the tomb, and we find her standing outside weeping. And she wept, and she stooped to look into the tomb herself. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around, and she saw Jesus standing, but she did not know it was Jesus. It was his glorified body. I don't know if that had something to do with it. It was her emotion, her crying, her stress, all of that. She didn't recognize him. And Jesus said to her, and there are very two very important questions in John's gospel, chapter 20, verse 15. Jesus said, woman, why are you weeping? What are you crying about? And then Jesus said to her, whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, And I imagine in my mind's eye that he cleared his throat. Mary. And she recognized his voice. 
And she said in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And he said these things to her. In verse 19, on the evening of that day, The first day of the week, the the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. They spent a pretty stressful day, didn't they? They're coming to get us. They're coming to get us. They're coming to get us. And the scripture says, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Did you know Jesus walked right through those walls? And he appeared right in their midst. And somebody sitting here this morning in the chapel online or sitting in this room here this morning. And you're, you're living in behind the locked walls of fear and doubt and sin and depression and discouragement. And I got good news for you. Because Jesus is alive, you don't even have to unlock the door. He can walk right into your room. And he can say, guys, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. What are we here for this morning? The story of the resurrection according to the gospel of John. It is the foundation of the Christian church doctrine. It's upon, upon which Paul says, without, we do not have any basis for our faith. But this, this reading this raises another question, which actually comes right out of the scripture text itself. And this is the question, did this actually happen? Good, good answer, by the way, on Easter Sunday. <laughs> Do you, know the, do you know who the first skeptics of the resurrection were? It was the disciples. It wasn't the Romans. The Romans freaked out, said he may be really doing what he said he was going to do. <laughs> the Jews were threatened and thinking, oh, no. And the disciples were like, oh, no, they took him. They're going to blame it on us. <laughs> no, look at it. The question that they were probing throughout the scripture that we just read is, did this actually happen? And they didn't believe it had. The disciples had to- Jesus had told his disciples that he would not see death. Psalm 16 says that he would not go in the grave and see corruption. He told them like Jonah, he would be in the belly of the well for three days, but he would come out. He said, they're going to tear this temple down. In three days, I'm going to rebuild it. He gave them all sorts of good information, and they still didn't understand it. What's going on? Where is Jesus? Someone has stolen his body. That was their first reaction. Verse 9 and 10 are telling to understanding their their view of this. They did not understand the scripture. They believed Mary's account that somebody had come and got him. They believed the lady. They believed the authorities had taken. Their first reaction was not he is risen, but oh no, he's gone. The question is the same that you are, many of us are wrestling with today. And it's worth probing for a moment. Did this actually happen? Easter's it's glorious. I love Easter. I love, I love the Christian holidays. I love the celebration. I'm looking forward to the ham that my wife had in this morning. I was looking at it. It's amazing. But you know, it's way more than that. Because if Jesus rose from the dead, that's a big deal. The question is, did it, did it actually happen? Is there significant evidence for the resurrection? In our passage this morning, we see a, a few evidences of the resurrection. We see that there was an empty tomb, right? 
the evidence that there was an empty tomb, that there are transformed disciples, that there's the appearance of Jesus, the impact he's had on history, and the experience of billions down through the ages that testify that he who was not here and was dead has come back to life and is interacting with people. Just so you know, if I die this, if I die this afternoon, I know that sounds morbid, maybe not for some of you, but it may be morbid. If I die this afternoon, you have my funeral on Wednesday, and you bump into me at Bojangles on Friday, you better watch out. <laughs> the tomb was unquestionably empty. All the leaders of that day were so opposed to Jesus, the Romans, the Jews. All they would have had to do to squelch this little religious sect would be produce the body of Jesus. You got all these people running around, he's risen, he's risen. People are starting to follow them more and more, creating this big uproar. He's alive, he's alive. They said, time out. He's not alive, here's his body. They couldn't produce a body. The powerful Roman government couldn't produce his body. The strict Jews couldn't produce his body. The tomb, there's no doubt about it. Whether he was stolen, whether whatever happened, he was not in the tomb. Paul Althaus states that the resurrection could not have been maintained in Jerusalem for a single day, not a single hour, if the emptiness of the tomb had not been established as a fact for all concerned. Whatever we believe about the resurrection, everyone has no doubt that the tomb was empty. There's the appearances of Jesus. In the scripture, there are at least 15 appearances of Jesus after his funeral. He appeared to Mary Magdalene in John 20. He appeared to the women returning from the tomb in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He appeared later in that day to Peter. He appeared to two men walking on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24. He appeared to the apostles without Thomas. Later when Thomas showed up, he appeared to the apostles with Thomas. In John 21, he appeared in bodily form to seven who were fishing at the lake of Tiberias. Paul says he appeared to 500 believers on a Galilean mountain in 1 Corinthians 15. He appeared personally to James, to the 11. At the ascension, he appeared. On the road to Damascus, he showed up and appeared to Paul. He appeared to Stephen when they were stoning him to death. He appeared to Paul again in the temple. And 60 years later, on the island of Patmos, a man who, was being, uh, who had been punished and exiled, John the Revelator, is on this island, and the living, resurrected Jesus appeared to him. And here's the evidence of the resurrection. When someone comes face to face with a person who was dead and in a casket, and then they have a conversation in real physical human life. You can't talk that person out of it. The greatest evidence for the resurrection is the changed lives, the impacted, profoundly impacted lives of the men and women who witnessed it and saw it. They didn't go there saying, well, okay, now let's start the hoax here. He's not there. Good. We got him hidden. Okay, let's start this little thing and start a religion, see if we can't get to some big place in Rome. That's not how this went down. This went down with them going, he's not here, and they're going to kill us. They're going to kill us for taking his body. But all of a sudden, when he appeared to them, their experience of being face-to-face with Jesus was something they never got over. N.T. Wright says, a, very, a great scholar, N.T. Wright, says that the first generation of Christians answered the question, why They were Christians with a straightforward answer because Jesus was raised from the dead. When they said, why are you a Christian? They said, well, I'm a Christian because I got baptized when I was 11. 
No, that didn't, that wasn't it. Why are you a Christian? Well, I'm a Christian because Jesus had some really nice things to say. No, that wasn't why they said they were a Christian. Why are you a Christian? Well, I'm a Christian because I want to go to heaven. That's not what they said. They said, I'll tell you why I'm a Christian. I didn't believe it. I was a skeptic, Thomas said. And Thomas said, but I'm going to tell you something. That dude was dead and buried, and he showed up and talked to me. (laughs) And you go study. You study the preaching of the apostles. It was not his moral code, the character of, or teachings of Jesus that held their loyalty to him. It was the fact that they had seen him dead and alive again. It was the foundation of their faith. It was the core of their message. And it was the reason they all gave their lives in death for Christ. Men will not willingly die. Men will not knowingly die for a lie. One of those guys at the end, they were boiled in oil, they were buried, I mean, they were, they were decapitated, they were crucified upside down, all because they were saying Jesus was dead and is alive again. I'm telling you right now, one of those dudes, if it was a hoax, right before they drop him in that boiling vat of oil, he'd have said, time out, can I talk to an investigator, please? I can take you to his body, it's out behind my grandfather's barn. One of those guys would have said, no, 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 no. But every one of those men and women said, you put me to death because he, the man who was dead and was alive again told me, if, they, if you kill me, he's going to make me alive again. Go ahead. <laughs> that was their posture. And was that because he had geared them up or rigged them up? No, it was because he was dead and he came back to life and they saw him and they went and preached and that message spread like wildfire around the world. And millions and hundreds of millions and perhaps billions of people who have come by faith, face to face with Jesus, are attesting to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You heard it a moment ago from her testimony. I was dead in my sins, but Jesus has raised me to life. The greatest proof of the resurrection isn't just information. It's the transformation that takes place in the lives of individuals. On the day of crucifixion, they were filled with sadness, Anderson says. On the first day of the week, they were filled with gladness. At the crucifixion, they were hopeless. On the first day of the week, their hearts glowed with certainty and hope. When the message of the resurrection first came, they were incredulous and hard to be convinced. But once they became assured, they never doubted again. What could account for the astonishing change in these individuals in such a short time? The mere removal of the body from the grave could never have transformed their spirits and characters. Three days are not enough time for a legend to spring up which would so affect them. I'll tell you what affected them. The proof is they were running around an empty tomb. They were saying, he's not here. Somebody has stolen him. And then, this is the proof, Mary. And there he is. Peter saw him that night, walked through the walls of his home. John saw him. The impact of his life on history, the formation and expansion of the church of Jesus Christ, and the hundreds of millions of people who've been changed by him. So here's one final question. Does it matter? Does it matter to you and does it matter to me? The question fundamentally becomes, so it's great that Jesus, we have this wonderful holiday, Easter, it's every year, yay, Ra, hallelujah. But it, it actually is the celebration of the literal resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So that's even better. But what does that have to do with you in 2019? 
In verse 15, Jesus asked Mary two very important questions. Questions that touch at the core of the issues for every human heart. And I'm almost done. Hold with me. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And he asked her, Whom are you seeking? And Jesus, in those two questions, addresses the hurts and the hopes of all humanity. What makes you cry? What are you longing for? In those questions, Jesus is addressing at the core the issues that have haunted and chased humanity down through the centuries. Why are we weeping? Jesus addresses the two things that have stung us since the Garden of Eden, the issue of sin and the issue of death. Why are we weeping? We're weeping because of sin. Turn on the news. Pick up the newspaper. Talk to your neighbor across the fence. Sit in your living room and ponder your own family and you'll see the picture of sin, abuse, neglect, hatred, division, theft, immorality, murder, racism. You'll see sin, sin, sin. The, the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is only relevant if you have a problem with sin. And you'll see death. The two problems, sin and death, the two problems. Why are you weeping? Because of sin. Whom do you desire? And what we all desire is we want to be with the one who created us forever. We want eternal life. And death is in the way. So the resurrection isn't relevant if you don't have any problem with death or sin. But if you've got a problem with sin and death, you need the resurrection this morning. You need the resurrection. If you've ever stood at the grave of a loved one and wept yourself in grief, if, if you've ever stood there weeping in grief, let me tell you something you need to know about the resurrection. If you've ever looked in the mirror, looked at a doctor's report, if you've ever pondered your own mortality, you need the resurrection. Because what, what appears to be some grand and glorious flowery pastel holiday every March or April is really the cure for the root cause of the sin and suffering in this world. You see, I started by asking, had you ever been given something really important and fumbled it? And that's really the story of the Garden of Eden because in the Garden of Eden, God gave to Adam and Eve the two things that they fumbled. He gave them moral perfection. They had no sin. They were absolutely perfect. And God gave them eternal life. They were living with no death in the Garden of Eden and they were living with no sin. God gave them those two things. And they broke it. And Easter is God leaning over our shoulder saying, let me help you with that. Because of Adam and Eve, we all have sinned. Because of Adam and Eve and the sin of this world, some of you sitting in in this room, some of you watching online or sitting in the chapel this morning are wrestling this morning, this weekend. You're wrestling with your own sin that you don't know what to do with. It matters. It matters if you know sin. It matters if you know addiction. It matters if you know brokenness. It matters. It matters. It matters. And in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he took the penalty of our sin on the cross 
He took that sin to the grave. He defeated death. And he came triumphantly out of the grave. And Romans chapter 8 says, if the spirit of him who if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, he will also give life, spiritual life, to your mortal bodies. We often view Jesus like this. We view Jesus as going into the grave. And it was a dark and weak moment, but we view him as going in the grave. And it's when he went in the grave that death got its hold on Jesus. I got news for you. He didn't go in there for death to get his hold on Jesus. Jesus went in there and he closed the door, the tomb behind him, and he got his hands on death. And he said, I'm going to do you in once and for all. Jesus, listen, listen, listen. Jesus got his hands on the power of sin. And the power of sin has no claim on the life of the one who is alive through the power of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ said, no, no, I'm going to remove the guilt of sin. I'm going to remove the shame of sin. I'm going to remove the penalty of sin. I'm going to remove the dominion of sin out of your life. Why? Because his supernatural resurrection power breaks the power of sin and death. Paul put it this way, oh, grave, what you got now? That's the Troy Keaton unauthorized translation. Oh, grave, where is your sting? Oh, you had a sting. But let me tell you, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What are we victorious over? Are we going to be healthy, wealthy, and prosperity? No, we're all going to get sick someday, probably be poor, and die. But through the power of Christ, we're going to live again forever and ever in a glorified body, in a glorified world. Listen. life and death and burial and resurrection of Jesus provides the solution to the world's two biggest problems immorality and immortality and Jesus solved both of those when he came out of the grave I ask this as we close the musicians are here somewhere what are you crying about what are you longing for can I tell you this morning that Jesus Christ can solve those things that you weep about. And Jesus can satisfy the deepest hunger of your heart. If you will simply say, Jesus, I trust in you. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I put all of my faith and my hope in you. I'm a sinner. I am sorry. Will you forgive me? The scripture says that the Spirit of God comes in, cleanses us, and gives us supernatural power to live for Christ. And when we die, it's only temporary. For He will once again give us eternal life. Would you stand with me, bow your heads this morning? All day today, men and women have been reaching out in faith and saying, oh, I want to give my life to Christ. We had many in the first service, more in the second service. I wonder this morning how many in the third service, if you're in the chapel, we have a team over there of pastors with our heads bowed and our eyes closed saying, you know, Pastor Troy, I need the resurrection power of Christ in my life. 
and I'm going to put my faith and trust in him as we pray. How many of you would just raise your hand and say, that's me, Pastor Troy. God bless you and you and you. Many hands. I see that. Put your God bless you. Many, many, many hands again. Those in the chapel, we have pastors over there to pray. God bless you. Oh, I'm putting my trust. We acknowledge we have a sin problem. We have a death problem. And Jesus Christ has come to answer both. I'm going to pray a prayer. I encourage you to pray. Those who raise your hand, just pray this prayer with me. When we're done, we're, they're going to sing. But as they sing, you can be dismissed. But I, I want those of you who've raised your hand, if you're, if you're comfortable, I'm going to be at the front and some of the prayer team's going to be here. Would you just join us at the front for a time of prayer as people are dismissing? Let's pray together. Pray this with me. Dear Jesus, it's Easter and I'm here to put my faith and trust in you. I confess my sin. I acknowledge my need of you. I turn from all of my own plans and own solutions for sin and death. And I turn totally to you as my only hope for sin and death. And so, Lord, I pray right now that you would forgive me, cleanse me, and breathe new life into me this morning, I pray. I trust you. I commit my life to you from this day forward. And by your grace, I want to live to bring glory to you. And Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you hear us, that you answer us, that you still cleanse, you still purify, you still bless, you still make new. And we praise you today in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information about Eastlake Community Church, please visit us online at eastlake-church.com or find us on your favorite social media platform at EastlakeSML. Thanks for joining us.